Welcome to the Forensic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Fiona Tuck. I'm a nutritional medicine practitioner and a qualified skin therapist for over 25 years. The Forensic Nutritionist Podcast takes an investigative approach into all things nutrition, gut health and skin, using qualified experts to bring you information that you can trust. We are all unique. The information presented herein is not intended to diagnose, to treat or cure disease. Please seek professional medical guidance prior to modifying any diet, exercise or lifestyle program. Let us begin. On the podcast today, we have Kale Brock. Kale is an award-nominated writer. He's an author, a filmmaker, and a speaker, a very engaging speaker with a special interest in health and well-being. Kale's produced two documentary films, the first one being The Gut Movie, which investigates the human microbiome and his brand new movie, which I'm so excited to to watch, the longevity film. And this is where Kale travels to the world's blue zones to investigate the dietary and lifestyle factors which are linked to the lowest rate of disease and the oldest living population. So I'm absolutely fascinated about this and I'm really looking forward to talking to Kale about it. So first of all, thank you, Kale, for um, coming to chat to us today. Thanks for having me on, Fiona. It's an absolute pleasure to, to chat with you. Now, I met you a few weeks ago, I think, um, at an event where you were talking about gut health and you were just so passionate and, and so engaging that I thought, I have to speak to you because I'm also very passionate about the longevity film that you're making and the blue zones. But before we get into that, I'm sure you are sick of people asking you, but I I have to ask you, where does your name Kale come from? Are you actually (laughs) named after a vegetable or is there a special meaning to your name? No, I actually am. Uh, It's on my birth certificate. I actually made a video about it because I had so many people asking. I'd be quite rich if I had a dollar for every time <laughs> someone asked. But I was born as Kale Brock, which is, you know, one and a half vegetables. It's a very cruciferous name. Um, but I just think uh, perhaps there was, you know, an element of meant to be there. And I've just, <laughs> yeah, I've just gone and, and owned it with, um, you know, my, my Instagram at Kale's Broccoli and all that sort of stuff. It's, I think it's something that you just have to accept and, and run with. But, but, but is it actually after the vegetable kale? I mean, did your parents love vegetables or is it? No, I don't think love? so. Yeah. I think it was just, uh, it was just um, a name. I think it was the only name on dad's list that mum could handle because dad had all these uh, quite eccentric names like Blaze and, and, and whatnot. So Kale was the most no- normal sounding name. And then I think grandma got involved and said, yeah, we well, can't call him that because it's a vegetable. But in the end, they did anyway. They did. And well, I think it suits you and it, it's perfect for, for what you're doing as well. So I, I think that's great. So <laughs> Kale, can you tell us, you know, just briefly, what is it that you're, why are you so passionate about gut health and, and healthy eating? I think I'm just curious. Curious is probably the best word because um, health in general and the human body and the way we experience life and the interactions that what we eat and the decisions we make every day have on our health outcomes has always fascinated me. And I think 
with that curiosity has come a passion for telling that story um, and sharing my journey in, into the space. And that's always been uh, my, I guess, platform has been to, to tell the story. Uh, so getting involved was always just an extension of my own natural interests. And when you do start to learn about these phenomenons, then you, I think, naturally want to share them because you see the, the significant impact that they have and can have on people's lives. So for me, my platform and, and medium has always been video and visual storytelling on, or on stage as well and through books. So um, to, to just extend my working life into, into my health and wellbeing curiosity uh, was always going to happen and it just turned out that uh, it was you know, a, a successful endeavour and um, now here I am doing this as a as a full-time job it's it's quite strange really <laughs> it's fantastic and I you know I, I'm 100% with you on you know I've got that fascination as well on how nutrients work in the body and on that biochemical level and you know how important nutrition really is I, I still don't think a lot of people realize that we need food for biochemical reactions to occur in the body. It's not just about giving us energy. So I'm, I'm all about, you know, the, the nutrition on the, the cellular level. I find it fascinating. And another area I find absolutely mind-blowing is longevity and, and what we can do ourselves to help us be the healthiest versions of ourselves and what we eat really can actually help us to potentially live longer. And I know that you are just about to launch your, your brand new movie, um, The Longevity Film. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, well, longevity has always fascinated me. And I think more than longevity as a as a micro topic, uh, I'm more interested in how cultures achieve longevity as a whole. Um, I think the best answers to our health and wellness inquiries lie with cultures who do it well, who yes. do it best. And I, there are cultures out there who are uh, living for about five to ten years longer than we do and and these are quality years they spend 90 to 97 percent of their lives free of disease whereas we have 50 percent of all children living with a chronic disease um so it's drastically different in these cultures and i think by reapproximating what they're doing uh we can actually achieve similar statistics so in the longevity film my role was to travel to three of the five uh, longevity cultures around the world. I went to Okinawa in Japan, Loma Linda in California, and Ikaria in Greece uh, to investigate what these guys were doing exactly to essentially extend their life and ensure the quality of their life now as well. A lot of people, when we talk about longevity, think about just adding years to your life, but what we're really talking about is adding wellness to your life as well. Yes. So we're ensuring that, yes, you live a long time, but the time that you're here is also of really high quality because we don't currently have that in Western society. So this film was uh, all about that. And I had some incredible experts to go and chat with, such as Dr. Mark Hyman and um, Paul Check and one of the original Blue Zone researchers, Nick Butner, and a few other incredible people 
as well here in Australia. Um, Daniel Vitalis in the States as well. So some of my favorite people got to come and, and comment on that journey as well. And then we look at how my life changes as a result. It's been quite a, quite a significant journey for me. This one has caused me to really reassess a lot mm-hmm. of things in my own life. And I think that's really important. Um, so in the end, we, we sort of have quite a compelling, uh, not an argument, but a compelling case for shifting our lifestyle to one that is more conducive to wellness and longevity. Fascinating. Now, you said you went to three of these, um, I guess, blue zones that we, we call them, where people tend to have the lowest rate of disease and, and live the longest. Um, what are the other two? Which, which are the two that you didn't yeah. get to? So there's Sardinia in Italy yep. and there's also the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. Right. And do you reckon you'll get to those one day? I will eventually, but it won't be a part of a film. Um, yep. Naturally, with a, with a story, you want a generally a three-act story um, in terms of the story arc. So there was never going to be room to visit five blue zones uh, right. unless you were doing something like a TV series. So, yeah, we, we sort of picked them based on availability, based on um curiosity as well i mean you look at when i told people i was going to california to film one of the healthiest cultures in the world that people were balking at it going no you must be going there to film all the fat sick and nearly dead (laughs) but that's not the case because within california one of the suburbs there that doesn't have any natural geographical boundaries or anything like that uh live 10 years longer than their californian counterparts just over the border of the suburb you know, so th- this is an incre- incredibly fascinating um, area in the world to study. So I got to go there and experience the Seventh-day Adventist uh, community and hang out with those guys and go to church for the first time and, and see what those guys were doing um, in their lives to, to really generate that, that blue zone culture, if you will, that longevity lifestyle. And it turns out, I mean, sorry, yeah, I was just going to go say, ahead. just just to inter- interrupt you there, just to clarify, this community in California, they are seven day Adventists, aren't they? There is that, um, it's like a, a religion. Yeah, so it's a religious community, and that tends that happens to be the highest concentration of Seventh Day Adventists around the world. They believe that most Seventh Day Adventists um, follow this lifestyle and uh, get similar results. Right. Right. And what is it about their lifestyle, do you think, that that does tend to have this longevity effect? It's a myriad of things, but I think in Loma Linda, and this is what we do in the film, we really focus on what each individual culture does best. I think in Loma Linda, they do community really, really well Um, because they have that sense of shared fate about them and because they have a very tangible reason to get together multiple times a week around their faith um, it tends to support a lot of community engagement and and community support as well and those turn out to be really key factors in uh, determining one's lifespan and health span as well Um, but added to that their religion specifically has a lot of calls to action around health and well-being so they observe a 24-hour sabbath each week which means from friday sundown to Saturday sundown, they, they take time off. So they put away all the technology and they go and spend time mostly in nature and with each other. Uh, taken right from their scriptures is go and do a nature walk. So they'll wow. do that with family and friends um, and they'll do a lot of gardening and they'll spend time outdoors in the sun, just relaxing. So these downshifts uh, really enable them to live a, a more stress-free lifestyle. 
Uh, and then they obviously live with a lot of purpose too because they are engaging with their community and supporting each other, but they feel uh, through their religion like there is a reason for them being here. Uh, and, and that tends to support their, their well-being emotionally as well. So it's really cool to see. And you, you go there and it's a genetic melting pot. So many people have been saying to me, well, you know, it's a, they've got good genetics, but you go to Loma Linda, it's, it's, a, it's a genetic melting pot. It's, a, it's Hispanic, people of Hispanic descent. You've got people of African-American descent. You've got people of European descent all coming together around this way of life and experiencing the same benefits, which is really fascinating. So, yeah, I think that was arguably one of the most interesting areas to go and visit because, like I said, they are almost enmeshed within Western society. They're, they're very normal people. You go there, they're, they're on, they've got iPhones, they're skating. You know, I went skateboarding with a bunch of young people there. Uh, it's, it's a very normal society and yet the health outcomes that they experience are very different from the ones we do. It's incredible. So when you went there, Kale, did you, how long were you in each country and did you stay with families there? How did you get, how did you get um, into the culture? How did you start to sort of eat the same food and become involved in their lifestyle? It was about a week in each place right. and it just depended on logistics. With Loma Linda, we uh, had our own Airbnb, but then spent our time in the community in Ikaria, we got to stay at Thayer's Inn, which is, you know, the quintessential um, longevity experience amongst the Ikareans in Okinawa. I got to stay with a local family there. So it just sort of wow. depended on what was available and what was going to be practical for filming as well. Um, so, yeah, we, we definitely, I definitely got to take a deep dive into the, the culture and we did that through, through various means. Fantastic. And I, I think it's an interesting point that you make about community, because I think in the in the West or in the culture that the majority of us live in, everyone is becoming so caught up in media and social media and work and everyone's stressed out. And even when they try and relax, they're, they're on iPhones and um, we, we forget to sort of you know disengage from um, technology and I think the importance of going out into nature and connecting with mother nature there's that that saying of Guyan awareness you know sort of connecting with that um, energy that natural energy outdoors a lot of us aren't doing that we're just surrounded by technology and a lot of people don't have that community support which I think would probably also play a huge role in, in mental health as well. Yeah, it does. And we've seen the studies come out recently showing that loneliness is now at epidemic proportions and it is worse for us than smoking, obesity and substance abuse. Right. We are turning to, I think, technology and social media as a surrogate community, but yeah. it is not delivering the same benefits that we would receive by actually engaging with people in real life. So then what the answer is, is to actually start to build rituals and settings in our lives that support us engaging with people. I mean, for me, this has been a big thing since coming home. I work from home. You know, I often work alone. So there's not always an incentive for me to go out and see people. So what I have to do is now develop habits and rituals that that cause me to do that so whether that's going to yoga a few times a week or whether it's going to the same few cafes once a day 
you know, not, not two, three cafes once a day, but one yeah. cafe each day. So that I see regular people and engage with regular people there and feel like I'm part of a community. We moved house since coming back because I wanted to move somewhere where we could walk everywhere and yeah. be surrounded by friends. Um, so now I can't walk down the street without bumping into someone, which is fantastic because it means I get to engage with people, have authentic conversations with people. And what happens is when you see someone and you feel connected to that person and you feel like you can be yourself with that person, you feel secure with that person, you see generally a neurochemical cascade of, of benefits um, that also happen to be quite physiologically health-supporting. Uh, health so um, there are numerous benefits to us actually getting out there and meeting people. And it's very easy for us to step back and say, well, I'm too busy and well, I don't want to see people today because we're exhausted, right? But we know that the studies even show that even introverts, people who consider themselves introverts, benefit hugely from actually engaging with people. So there's really no one on planet Earth who would actually be better off not engaging with other human beings on a regular basis. So we need to build this as structures, as routines, as habits, and even as policy into our lifestyle here in the West. And that's what these Blue Zone cultures do so well, is that culturally inherent in their life is, is the constant communication and engagement and support from other individuals. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I moved a couple of years ago almost, and um, one of my prerequisites was to be in more of a village-type community um and again as i i work alone from home a lot um the the same the same as you that um i really felt it was important to to try and sort of go out there and, and meet more people just to get that that social interaction because i know if i'm at home all day um it does it does affect you mentally if you haven't spoken to anyone all day yeah, so it does it, it really is such an important thing and i also think with social media Sometimes, even though we're, we're interacting on social media, it can actually make you feel even lonelier sometimes if you see everybody else out there doing things or you didn't get invited to something or everybody else's showreel, if you like, looks so much more exciting. Um, and I think we, we do need to be conscious of that because it, it does concern me, especially the, the younger population growing up with social media, um, how that is going to affect them mentally so I think getting that support network around you even if it's joining a gym or as you say going to a yoga class and, and having that community is so so important and um, I think when we're talking about the the blue zones and longevity and longevity diets what we eat is so important but it's it's a lifestyle and when we talk about the Mediterranean diet it's a it's a lifestyle it's not just about what we eat. It's it's about how we live and how we interact and, and how we support each other. So I, I think that that community aspect is so very, very important. So that was great that you, that was the, the thing that really stood out to you. Was there anything else that really, when you, when you went to the, the three um, countries, apart from that community, what, what other common factors do you think may have been contributing to health? Were there any particular foods that everybody was eating? Nutrition was definitely a big pillar of the longevity. We've sort of identified, um, the, I've sort of written about and we'll speak about in the film yeah. um, and, and in the companion book to the film is the four pillars of longevity and wellness and 
one of them is obviously community and the other ones are nutrition movement and attitude. Um, nutrition was a big one for me. I actually went into the film going, okay, I'm probably going to be uh, challenged on this front, but uh, I was to an extent, but what I didn't realize was that there would be an underlying philosophy of, of the slow diet, the seasonal local organic whole food diet in all of these cultures uh, with a particular emphasis on the organic um, se- uh, section of that. Uh, really? These people, particularly in Okinawa and in Ikaria, and then from what I'm told also in Sardinia and in the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, uh, there is a passionate farming element, a passionate gardening element, grow your own element to, to the mm-hmm. culture. And the garden tends to offer not only a source of organic produce, but also a reason for living and uh, a movement intervention, um, a sunshine intervention, a meditative yeah mindfulness practice um these these tend to be pivotal in in the cultures uh that i visited mostly in okinawa and ikaria uh and you know you ask these people do you put chemicals on on the plants to help them grow or do you keep pests away with with chemicals and they 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 frown at that Mm. response yeah at that question you know it's like no way why would we do that we'd poison the children we'd poison the food um so there is a large emphasis on an organic approach uh, the only ones who who don't have that real um, strongly deeply embedded garden culture are the Loma Lindens in California but if you look at what they're doing they're mostly vegetarian pescatarian mm. um, so they are consuming a, a stack of vegetables as part of their everyday life and they've got a big emphasis on whole food nutrition but not necessarily growing their own. So if you look at four of the five blue zones, you find that, that a lot of them grow their own and they do it organically. So that was a big thing for me. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? They're getting in more nutrition every single day because we know the research suggests that there is more nutrition in organic produce. Plus they're getting fresh produce, which means you're not seeing this um, phytonutrient degradation that occurs once you pick something. You're seeing less of that because they're consuming things straight away. And in Korea, they're consuming wild herbs all day um, which are extremely phytonutrient rich uh, and they're picking wild greens to put in their food in okinawa they're having seaweed which turns out to be a total longevity superfood uh, which upregulates longevity genes in the body and downregulates inflammatory genes in the body Um, so you know there are these inherent hacks in in their local food supply that tend to support these healthier outcomes and i think every single region in the world would have that available here in australia we have some of the most um nutritious native foods that a lot of us don't have access to so i think by becoming aware of these things discussing them we can actually start to increase their availability within our culture as well so nutrition was a big component i think movement as well is something that we have to talk about because movement as Paul Check said in our interview, movement is life. And to the degree at which we stop moving and allow ourselves to degrade, we start to age. Yes. Uh, because if you, if you can't look after yourself, if you can't move, essentially your quality of life is gone. And we know that the, one of the number one killers for people over the age of 65 is a hip fracture. So what these cultures are doing, and again, this is done very inherently, it's not done necessarily uh, consciously, uh, they have to move a lot and they move moderately all day. They're not doing a 45 to 60 minute workout in the morning and then going sitting for 10 hours like most Australians do. They're moving throughout the day. They're walking, they're climbing stairs, they're bending down to do the gardening, they're 
um, climbing step ladders to, to build things in the house or fix things in the house. They're dancing. A lot of dancing goes on. They're singing karaoke. I was with a 94 year old woman in Japan, in Okinawa, who was at, who was singing karaoke all day and then hosted me for lunch and then went and um, danced some more and sung some more karaoke at night. Uh, she, she walks up and downstairs every day. She's got a full schedule. She runs her own radio program. She teaches kindergarten. She's insanely busy. And I said, what's the secret? And she goes, well, I'm too busy to, to mm-hmm. grow old. You know, I'm independent. So they're not just kicking back. This is, a, this is a common misconception is that these cultures just kick back, relax, they nap all the time and they might nap a little bit but they're not hanging in hammocks sipping margaritas or sake bombs you know they're actually out there working a lot and that work fulfills them emotionally but it also induces this constant activity physically in them so they're moving all day um and and then that i think leads to the last pillar that we sort of looked at is an attitude uh that if you go to these cultures they've got a strong attitude they're smug they're so incredibly attractive to be around because they just do not care what anyone thinks. Um, you know, I spoke with one man, Chosai, in Okinawa, who was 97, and wow. he'd been smoking cigarettes since World War II. I said, oh, you know, that's interesting. What sort of cigarettes do you smoke? He said, the smoky ones. I was like, <laughs> all right, he's <laughs> got a little bit of attitude. And then um, he was in the garden and he talked about the garden and he was, you know, full squatting, uh, working in the garden. And then I... And, um, he looked me up and down. He goes, okay, you look strong. Why don't we have a push-up competition? <laughs> so we wow. had a push-up competition. We did five push-ups together in a row and with no noticeable change in breath at all from Chosai. He goes, um, you know, I did one-arm push-ups until I was 90. I said, this is unreal. I said, what's the secret? You're 97. You're incredibly fit. You look great. And he said, no, I'm not sure. I just never died. You know, so it's like this, that attitude there, that cheeky um, very forthright, affable smugness that these graceful ages have is very much a part of their longevity. If you look at the history of Okinawa, you look at the history of Ikaria, for instance, both have been ravaged by war. And, you know, there were times in Ikaria, for instance, where people starved, you know, and there were lots of people in Loma Linda as well who had come over from Europe after World War II. I spoke with, sat down with a um, group of ladies. I walked into a, a retirement village and these all three ladies happened to be over the age of 93. They were having a very lucid, very sharp conversation together. I said, where, where have you all come from? And one was from Poland and one was from Texas. And the other one was from Germany or something. And they had all left after World War II because it had ravaged Europe, you know. So all these cultures had a lot of adversity. And I think that instigates and incites some form of humbleness yeah. about them. Uh, and, and they're also very resilient, emotionally resilient from those experiences. So they've had a hard life, you know, and, and I think with that comes this very beautiful attitude towards life, like every day is a blessing and, um, that you, you know, nothing is to be taken too seriously and life is meant to be fun. When you ask, about, when you ask these people about their purpose, a lot of, them, a lot of the, uh, the same words came up, being, having fun and being happy and being surrounded by friends, you know, so that I think that strong attitude is a massive component of, of this longevity and well-being. And unfortunately, we hear, I feel like a lot of us here in Australia, in America, if we want to just call it the West, we, we do have 
less of that attitude. We have more of a victimhood mindset. Um, I think we're not emotionally resilient and we see that reflected in the statistics um, when we look at people's mental health. You know, so I think we need to, to cultivate that um, and, and maybe that comes back to having good emotional support around us and having good community engagement on an ongoing basis. When we, when we do that, we find, and, and when we fix our nutrition as well, the studies show that we can absolutely reverse the mental health statistics using just nutrition. Um, yeah. You know, so, so all these components, all these pillars come together to create a very fortified structure upon which we can really get some, some nice health outcomes that reflect very closely the longevity cultures around the world. Absolutely. And um, I think it's so true that we, we do tend to see more of this, this victim mentality. And I think, you know, in, in times of adversity, you can either look at that and think, well, you know, you can be humbled by it and, and you can then have more gratitude for, for the life that you have, or, or you can turn it around and, and point the finger at everybody else and, and take on a, a victim mentality. Um, and I think attitude is, is so, so important. And I guess I've always come from a bit of a, a spiritual background. And I think sometimes having that, that spiritual aspect, whether it be from religion, whether it be from um, spiritual practices such as yoga, um, but having that almost that surrender type attitude where it's more sort of what will be will be and, and not to try and control life. Um, or, or look at blaming people and, and just sort of going with the flow can can make a big a big difference you know not not sweating the the small stuff so to speak mm. I, I think attitude has a, a huge role to play in um, how we view life and even on our on our body I mean even things like you know the placebo effect is is massive and we're now looking more into mood and gut health and not only just what we're eating but also the role that the, the brain has on the gut and the gut has on the brain so I think there's so much we still don't know but what is fascinating and really no surprise Kale is if you actually look at these blue zones everything they are doing in a way to me is common sense it's not rocket science it's not looking for that magic pill that magic cure it's not looking at following the latest fad diet um, it's not it's not looking at any of that I'm sure these are people that are um, not magically searching for you know or even taking supplements that they're, they're all doing it naturally yet in the west it's almost like we want to just eat what we want eat the fast food eat the processed food and then look for a magic cure for longevity and to me that just seems crazy yeah and, and that's if anything that's been absolutely um uh, reinforced from this trip and this experience. It's, uh, it's not about one thing. It's not about the green smoothie you have in the morning. That mm. might be a health, healthy recipe and a healthy intervention. But if you are stressed, if you're not engaging with people, if your relationships are not positive, um, if you are not moving every single day in, in natural movement patterns, uh, then and you don't have a good attitude towards life, you can sip all the green smoothies you like, you're not going to live a long time and you're not going to live well. So it is really a recipe uh, that, that it's required to, to live a long life and, and a happy, healthy life. 
Yeah, and I think movement, again, is so important because we know when we, you know, we're now saying that um, sitting is the new smoking, but I, I think people don't realise how much of a negative effect sitting and, and not moving can actually have because we need to move just to lubricate the joint. So the more you're sitting and not moving, the more we're going to stiffen up. And we now know that even um, exercising, regular exercising, can actually you know stimulate what we call the nrs2 pathways which can actually help the body um basically clear out debris from the cells and help to um keep the cells healthy and so actual exercise is a really important thing for helping to protect us from disease and to keep us mobile and to keep the joints lubricated and it was interesting I actually watched a, a show it was a documentary years ago now and it was on these women in western culture that had lived to a hundred and the the one common thing with all of these women and they were all amazing they all had a very positive attitude like you've been talking about they had this sense of community and the one common denominator denominator with them was that they all did yoga and every morning they moved and they stretched and they they worked right up until a very um old age and they were all passionate and and again all the things that that you've been talking about so i think it, it's it's not surprising what you're saying and to me it's common sense but but what does seem crazy to me is in the west world where you know we're creating a society where we don't have to move because we're creating gadgets and technology to do everything for us you know even robot vacuum cleaners <laughs> which is crazy again you know we 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 creating things where we don't have to move we're creating food that's not even food anymore I mean, if you walk into the supermarket, the majority of food in there is all out of the packet. And I, I always laugh and say the health food aisle is, is not a health food aisle at all. Um, it's all highly processed, um, packaged food in the supermarket. Yet a lot of people look at this food, such as breakfast cereals full of sugars and colours and goodness knows what, and to them that is food. So I guess we... What do you think we need to do? I mean, I think getting your movie out there is a, a great start, but I think it just comes down to education, don't you? You know, that we're, we're changing the world into something that really is going to have a negative impact long term. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think the education is there. We intellectually know these things are mm. good for us, but we don't um, implement them into our lifestyle because currently we don't see... A big enough reason to so i think for a lot of people it takes a wake-up call maybe it is a sickness that they experience maybe it is the, the the death of a family member from something unexpected um and that shouldn't be the case we should actually be prophylactic and preemptive in our um response to this stuff and you know if we're if we're waiting for policy changes to come in i mean we're going to be waiting forever we know yeah. that change doesn't come from the top down we've been waiting for change on things like um the climate for, for a very long time but they're still not occurring at least here in australia because we have dinosaurs uh running the country so so i think it really comes down to us it comes down to um us as individuals we have to feel empowered enough to uh, take back control of our time and the decisions we make and, and we are totally 100 percent responsible for that 
uh, you do not have to do anything. We, we, we come up with excuses to say we have to do things like I don't have the time to do this or that. Um, that's not true. Okay. We, we, you choose not to have the time uh, and you may be someone who, who is busy and, and you've got a family to look after. Um, but that just means you may have to shift around a few things and change your priorities around. Perhaps instead of everyone sitting down and the TV goes on so the kids can watch the TV, perhaps there's more of a conversation that happens between everybody. Um, perhaps there's a, a family walk time. Uh, instead of you going to the gym and getting your, your fast, intense workout in, perhaps it's, hey, family, let's go down the beach and play. Um, so, you know, there's a, an abundance of opportunities for us to actually change things. And that's why I'm hoping that the film does inspire some of that discussion to start happening and does inspire some of that change to start happening. Because right now we're giving away, we're donating our health to pharmaceutical companies and the sickness industry. And I would like to see that changed. I would like to see more of our health and well-being in our own hands. Um, it already is, but we're giving it away. I would like to see us take it back. Mm. And, it, I mean, it's interesting you, you say that. And I, I've got um, another podcast coming up on nutrigenomics, which is another area that I, I find fascinating and really sort of touching briefly on it here because it, it's relevant to, to what you're saying. But I think we are relying on the pharmaceutical industry to treat disease. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. If, if you're sick and you need it, then absolutely. But sometimes we wait till we're sick to do anything about it. But then also, I guess, even on a, a well-being um, aspect, when people are seeing naturopaths and nutritionists, quite often, Kale, the very first thing that they will do is prescribe them synthetic vitamins. And again, not go back to basics to, to looking at the, the minor changes that may be required first and foremost in the diet. And so we're almost now creating this culture of pill popping, whether it be a vitamin supplement or a pharmaceutical drug. And I think it's probably going to take us 10 or 20 years before we realize that there's going to be side effects to that for, for every, every um, high dose long-term synthetic supplement you take, there is going to be a knock-on effect to that, to other biochemical reactions within the body. And I think we need to start going back to basics, looking at the food, looking at the food we're eating and, you know, looking at getting the plant-based foods in the diet and looking at these countries that do live the longest with importantly the, the lowest rate of disease. So they're, they're healthy and they're living long and looking at what they're doing and looking at, um, I'm sure a lot of them weren't, popping down to the local pharmacy to get all their, their medications. No, if you actually, if all of all the um, older people that I interviewed, you know, these are people over the age of 85, uh, some of them over the age of 100, only one of them was on ongoing medication. Wow. So the rest of them are That's living independently, um, whereas if you have people here, they, they're on a slew of different medications, mm -hmm. sometimes 12 or 13 medications that come with a myriad of side effects. Um, and, you know, it's, it's fine to say, uh, yeah, but, you know, medicine's there for, for whatever. Um, medicine's there for emergencies. It's, it shouldn't be there for anything else. Uh, and yet we tend to use it as a bit of a crutch to lean upon for our preventable health ailments. And that is, I take issue with that because we had yeah. some sickness profiteering happening. Um, yes. 
So I think that we need to put things into, into place. Dr. Damien Christoph is talking about in the film that there is no disease that exists that is the result of a shortage of a pharmaceutical, that is the result of a shortage of a drug. You don't get sick because you don't take pharmaceuticals. And yet we use pharmaceuticals to hide symptoms that arise from often just a, a, a nutritional uh, deficit. Yes. So uh, what a lot of people in these cultures are doing is just living their lives. They're, they're not taking medications because they know that it's not for ongoing use. It's for emergencies only. So if someone gets pneumonia in one of the, or, or something in the, which is quite often in, not quite often, sorry, this was quite often a story. I had pneumonia once. Um, and that's when they took antibiotics, you know, yeah. and they took it for, for a couple of weeks and it saved their life, which is what it should be used for. And then they go on and, and use more um, medicinal foods on a daily basis. So they're having the ikari and honey, they're having the wild herbs, they're having the seaweed in Okinawa, um, they're, they're using the Okinawan sweet potato, they're, they're having all the different herbs as well. So um, I think we just need to shift our attitude towards these things and um, uh, what's going to instigate that, I don't know, but mm. hopefully it's the film. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um, and, you know, I couldn't agree with you, you more, and I, I, I do think that, you know, we are relying on um, pills and, and supplements way more than we should and we should be looking at food. When you were saying, you know, they were eating wild herbs, I can't remember which country you were talking about there, what... Was that for a medicinal benefit or was it just they were picking the herbs to add flavour to the, the food? It's add flavour to the food. That In Ikaria, they consume a lot of these herbs as herbal teas. So right. they'll, have, um, they'll have a lot of tea, which happen to be diuretics, which, which um, cause them to wee. Uh, and that tends to be quite good for the blood pressure, good for the brain. Yeah. Uh, so they're very low rates of neurodegenerative conditions in Ikaria. Um, 20% of the dementia that we experience here and that even um, Greeks experience and, and Greeks are actually mostly healthier than, than us. So, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting to, to see that. And, um, yeah, it's just a part of their life. They don't think, like, oh, I'm taking my medicine today when I'm sipping this tea. It's, it's just a natural part of, of their lifestyle and their culture. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, herbs have got so many benefits and um, health benefits and nutritional benefits as well. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of adding herbs to cooking, herbs to, um, you know, uses herbal tea as well. So that, that's no surprise to me, but it, it's interesting that it's such a large part of their culture. And of course, plant-based foods, we know now that um, plant-based foods and that diversity of plant-based foods is what's going to be good for gut health diversity and ultimately general health and well-being. And I think we're seeing that shift now on people realizing the importance of increasing the plant-based foods, which is which is great. And so I think yeah. that's, that's interesting. And I, I guess from what you were saying, you know, a lot of these these areas and the blue zones, they they're not eating a lot of animal produce they, they are eating it but it's not it's not the staple part of their diet is that correct that's the simple part of it is it's not this it's not the main part of their diet but they, they are still consuming animal protein in korea they're consuming um some fish and they're having also a lot of goat because there's a um, large wild goat uh, population on the island in okinawa they're having fish because they're an island you know surrounded yeah. by water 
Um, in La Melinda, they're mostly pescatarian, so they might have some some fish and eggs with with their food, with their foods, with their meals. So they are consuming animal proteins, just in a much smaller quantities than what we perhaps do. Uh, they're also consuming really good quality animal proteins. So if you look at wild goat, for instance, it's very yeah. different to um, you know perhaps a, a cow that's been raised on grain and been fed antibiotics, or a chicken that's um, had the same. So yeah, we we do need to differentiate between the types of proteins these guys are consuming and the ones that we do, but also the amount as well. Absolutely. And how important do you think organic food is from from what you discovered when making the movie? Yeah, like I said before, I think it's just yep. a it's a natural part of their lifestyle, and it does. I mean, according to the research, if we're reducing the amount of toxins that are coming into the body through pesticides and and um, chemical agriculture residues, mm. uh, and we're increasing the amount of nutrition that comes into the body, then it, that's a recipe for success. I think it's pretty obvious um, that that's going to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's so much we don't know about organic food yet, or, or should I say the, the pesticides on food and, and what they're doing to... Um, gut health and gut microbes even that there's so much more research I guess that that can be done and um, whether it will be um, substantial evidence to to go more down the organic route it, there's a commercial factor there as well but I think where possible if we can and you can afford it that's a, that's a great thing to do so yeah and if you can't afford it then starting a garden is a really yeah. good idea Absolutely. So was there anything you noticed with the blue zones with, I mean, the trend at the moment, there's a big trend with intermittent fasting. Did you notice anything with the blue zones when it comes to fasting? I know sometimes with religions, there can be a, a fasting component with that. But was there anything that, that you noticed? Did they eat at certain times or was fasting part of, of their practice? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I went there, I, I like fasting and uh, no, they're not doing it in these longevity cultures. They might do it inherently some days by accident, um, yeah. but they're certainly not restricting their eating windows uh, intentionally. <laughs> and again, yeah, you know, a little bit of information and then everyone goes on the, the bandwagon and follows the, the, the latest trend. But I think it's an important thing to mention that, you know, things like the keto diets and intermittent fasting and popping, you know, medication and vitamin supplements that we think is healthy here is not something that they are doing in these populations. And I think more importantly, that the best way to know if something works is to look at the people that are living the longest and the healthiest, that are living to 100 and looking at what they're doing rather than look at a study that was maybe done on a glowworm or a mouse or something um, and get caught up with that. It's about looking at what really does, does work. And, you know, I think the, the longevity film that, that is coming out really clearly points to it's not rocket science it's going back to basics eating naturally eating fresh eating plant-based foods having the right attitude moving um, getting the right nutrition from fresh whole foods which is what we know but it's now putting that into practice so Kel, when is your movie coming out because i'm desperate to to come and watch it <laughs> uh, we are running an Australian tour from November. 
So we right. are traveling around to all the major parts of Australia. Uh, and then we're going to take it to California in February. Um, so yeah, we, we're currently, we're going to be taking over some cinemas, which is really exciting. Um, and yeah, if people want to grab tickets, they can just go to my website, which is just kalebrock.com, K-A-L-E-B-R-O-C-K.com. Uh, and, they'll, and they'll find it all there. Right. So if we go to your website, we can find out where the movie will be screened, how we can view it, and people can come along and find more about the longevity film. It's all there, including the trailer and um, details for people to host their own screenings if, it, if it's not happening in their area. Uh, it's all, all via that homepage, yeah. Absolutely amazing. Well, Kyle, thank you. You're um, absolutely fascinating. I'm a little bit jealous, I have to say, or a little bit envious. <laughs> I don't like the word jealous. Um, it's probably a negative word, but... I'm a little bit envious that you have been to visit three of these blue zones because that is on my to-do list. My, my goal is to actually, if I can, visit all of them because I, I do find it quite fascinating um, and to immerse myself with the culture. So the fact that you have already done it, I think, is something that is really commendable that you, you've done and I think, you know, I'm, I'm really in support of what you're doing. I think you've got a great message and spreading the word of good health and looking at what really has worked for people. It, it's not just a, a theory. These are people that are living to a, a really old age and have very low rates of, of disease. So I really can't wait to watch the movie and I'm sure everybody listening is going to hop onto your website. So if you can just repeat your website one more time. Yeah, it's just kalebrock.com, K-A-L-E-B-R-O-C-K.com. Super easy. And that's not a name you can forget very easily either. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, Kale Brock. Thank you so much for chatting to us today, Kale. Thanks for having me on.